Genesis chapter 15 is pivotal for the story of Abraham and is therefore pivotal for the story of the Jewish and Christian people. This chapter is crucial for our understanding of faith and covenant. In Genesis chapters 11 and 12, Abraham and Sarah are called out of their barrenness back in Ur by the power of God's word. They leave everything because of what God has promised them. They have no more on offer than that. But God has promised to lead them, to give them many descendants, and to be their God. God promises Abraham that he will be the father of a great nation. His descendants will be more in number than the grains of sand and the stars in the sky. But as we encounter Abraham in chapter 15, this has still not happened. Not even one baby has appeared, never mind as many as stars in the sky. And this is the big issue in this chapter. God has promised a whole lot of descendants to Abraham, but when is God going to deliver on that promise? I think at this point Abraham and Sarah are really beginning to doubt that God is going to do what he says he will. And part of the journey of faith, it seems, is that we have to live through those times when God doesn't seem to be doing anything. And you know how frustrating those moments can be. Why and how do we continue to trust in God's promise when the evidence against that promise is all around? This is the issue that Abraham faces here. And how he deals with it makes him the father of faith. You know that Abraham is one of the great figures of the Jewish faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11 as well, he becomes one of the great figures of the Christian faith. Abraham's faith is the faith that is quoted as the faith that's the best kind of faith to have. But here we see that Abraham is doubting God's promise. As chapter 15 begins, God comes once more to Abraham and reiterates his promise to him. It says, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Abraham says to God, you're talking nonsense. I haven't got a son. I've had to make other arrangements for where my property will go. Remember, says Abraham to God, I haven't got a son. Well, God says, you will have. Look at the stars. Your descendants will be more in number than them. And we hear that Abraham suddenly believes. And God says, How does this amazing change happen? I suspect that Abraham's faith is not peaceful or pious. He stands up against God and says, I can't believe what you're telling me. I can't believe you. This doesn't add up. Circumstances suggest that you're talking rubbish. But yet he still comes to that moment where he can say to God, yes, I believe. So how does he get there? To be certain, God doesn't beat him over the head 
This is no three falls and a submission attitude to faith. Abraham is free to doubt, to question, to disbelieve. Yet eventually, he comes to the point where his faith is freely given. I think Abraham was probably more worried about the future than we would perhaps realise. A man of property, or even not a man of property, in the age in which Abraham lived, if you had no children, and particularly if you didn't have a son, that was a big disgrace and a big problem. So not only was he in disgrace now, but his future was uncertain. Who would care for him in his old age? Who would inherit his property? He'd surely got to the point of believing that there would not be any change in his circumstances. He and his wife were too old to have children. They were getting older by the moment. How could this happen? Maybe he, or God, got it wrong and the promise wasn't there after all. But God is faithful. Once again, he comes to Abraham with a word of promise and reward. The reward not just of a child, but also of a land for his descendants to call their own. This reward that God promises is not some kind of gold star for good behaviour. It's not like uh, the lion in the Wizard of Oz got that medal for courage. It's not that kind of reward. It's not points notched up on a loyalty card at Tesco's or Boots or wherever. It's rather the reward that is a completely free gift the kind of reward that's given to the faithful servant of a king who's performed some bold or risky service. It's a free gift. Abraham and Sarah are called to live their lives with this barrenness as people in disgrace. The promise of the reward, however, requires that they live as creatures of hope in a situation that is hopeless. It's a really important point. It's not their trusting, it's not their quantity or the quality of their trust that guarantees their reward. For then the reward would be rather like a gold star for good behaviour. Clearly they need to trust and hope, or they won't get the reward. But the reward is freely given. If, If you're a logical kind of person, and those of you who know me very well will know that, of course, I'm actually not so it doesn't bother me. But if you're logical, you'll think, well, Barbara, that argument really just doesn't hang together because, you know, how can you get the reward if you have to behave? You know, it just doesn't make sense. But if we can grasp this idea of the reward of God being a completely free gift, it gives us a key insight into biblical faith. Faith, which is an experience of God's grace. And this is the key. The gift of God is given especially to those who trust and will risk according to what is promised. If we look at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and go on into Matthew 6 and look at the rewards promised there to those who trust in God and those who trust in humanity, we'll see that there's a bit of a contrast there. This is Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the rewards they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gift in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. 
when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and dishevelled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private. And your father, who sees everything, will reward you. Faithful trust, such as Abraham and Sarah portray, does make a difference. And God does respond in generosity to those who trust him. These rewards are the generous response of God to those who respond to his call and who will share his life. This is the promise that is offered to Abraham in the face of his barrenness. However much Abraham believes the promise of God, though, he's still faced with the immediate problem. He doesn't have a son. God has still not done the one thing that he needs to do in order to begin the fulfillment of his promise. Abraham has done what the custom of his time demanded he do. He makes a distant relative who happened to be a servant in his household his heir. But it's not the same. It's not a substitute for what he really wants and for what God really needs to do. And Abraham really seems to be recognizing the impossibility of God's promise Those of us who were here on Friday for the Women's World Day of Prayer thought a bit more about the possibility of Abraham and Sarah's situation. We read on in a few chapters into chapter 18. And we see that still, Abraham and Sarah haven't got a son. They are kept waiting. Abraham really lays it on the line to God here. What good is it you're saying you're blessing me When I haven't got a son, the circumstances that I'm living in bring a lie to that. So God offers Abraham his promise once more. You will have a child. Look, your descendants will be more than the stars in the sky. God doesn't use reasoned arguments to persuade Abraham. Instead, he speaks to him at what proves to be a much deeper level. He offers him a vision. The simple truth is that as God points Abraham to look at the heavens, that he reminds him simply that he is God. As Abraham stands in the darkness, figuratively, spiritually, and physically, the light dawns. God is God. That wow factor kicks in. And the same God who makes the promise becomes the one who makes it believable. It's this new awareness that God really is God that provides that safe ground for Abraham's future. If God can create something so amazing, so majestic, so mind-blowing and awe-inspiring as the stars in the heaven, how much more is his care for Abraham, his family and their future? The same God who makes the stars can also make a child for this family. And we understand no more about how one is created and given than we do the other. And suddenly that shift happens. As Abraham gazes at this awesome God, he believes. 
the shift of belief from argumentative doubt to amazing faith comes about because Abraham has come to rely on the one who makes the promise. He's allowed God to move from being a proposition to becoming a reality. And that's a journey we all have to make. Abraham begins to live as someone who lives as he was created to be. As someone who lives in a right relationship with God, that's really what righteousness means. Who trusts God's future, even though the present circumstances seem to suggest otherwise. Some of us yesterday were on a jailbreak reflection day, and one of the things we were invited to reflect on was this idea that Paul and Silas praised God in their prison. The prison didn't magically go away, but they praised God. They had faith in God's promise to them, even though the circumstances around them seemed to contradict all of the possibilities. They believed in God's promise and sang praises to him. Paul is, when he writes to the Romans, to the Galatians, and here in our reading to the Philippians, reminds them of the hope that is theirs, the gift of faith which is theirs because of Jesus. It's in this hope and faith, as a result of the free gift of God's grace, that they're set free free to live as citizens of heaven. We need to hear that too. When Jesus met and healed people, he's often recorded as saying, your faith has made you well. People had come to him. They were closed down by their circumstances. But as they met Jesus, they allowed themselves to open themselves up to the possibility of a new thing in Jesus. They don't doubt that the promise of what he says is true. Faith becomes a problem for the church when it clings to the problematic present and so shuts out the kingdom of God. Jesus admonishes his disciples in the storm and at the feeding of the 5,000. He says, their faith, you know, your faith is so small because they concentrate on their present limitations rather than opening themselves up to the possibilities of the future. This is God's challenge for us. Our first challenge is, do we believe that God has promised us a great future? And if we do, do we still believe that, even if we've been waiting for some time? We're not good at waiting. But the gifts of God cannot be forced. We can't conjure up blessings by simply adding water. We'd be doing quite well today if we could. Futures stay in the hands of the God who gives them. God's covenant to Abraham is simply a promise. God commits himself to Abraham absolutely. He doesn't demand here a reciprocal commitment from Abraham. He simply commits himself to give to Abraham as a gift of free grace. Abraham doesn't deserve it. Abraham's not called upon to earn it. Abraham is simply to be given it many of us, of course, that's where we struggle with God. We're good at trying to earn our salvation, earning the rewards of our faith, like nectar points or whatever. With being good, doing good deeds, we find it hard to accept that God gives us his love and his life as a gift of grace. To accept that 
is an awesome thing. And yet that's what he offers each and every one of us. The gift of his grace, given in the life of his son. A promise not deserved, not earned, but given as a gift. This is the God who calls us to follow him, to journey with him, to trust him in his grace. We're going to pray.